Well, I, I figured it uh, being St. Patrick's Day on just a few days ago, uh, we might as well sing uh, one of the great hymns of the faith uh, that is Irish and written by an Irish uh, person. Um, with that said, I'd love to uh, get, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will uh, uh, dive into our text this morning. Uh, God, we lift our prayers up to you. Lord, my prayer is this, God, that as we are going to look at the glorified Christ, the glorified Savior, the glorified Messiah, the Lord Jesus, as we see in the transfiguration today, God, help us to see you as you really are. God, help us to see your glory and your majesty, your honor and your beauty, your just how majestic you are. God, help us to honor you in that as we get a vision and a glimpse of that. God, and help us to lead others to you, to point others to your beauty and glory and majesty. You are, as Scripture says, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life-giving Messiah, the Son of the living God. God, help us to take that, grasp that image, and use it to bring others into saving faith with you. We thank you and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Lisa and I were joking uh, this week. Has, any, has anyone been watching The Mandalorian? Like one other person. One person. Wow, okay, this joke's going to fall flat, so that's good. Good way to start things out. But there's a saying in The Mandalorian, it is, this is the way, right, this is the way. Uh, I titled my, si my sermon today, He is the Way, and Lisa's like, you should have changed it to This is the Way, but we didn't do that. And I'm glad I didn't because it just would have been April, and Lisa and I who would have known what I'm talking about. So praise God, he's, he's, he's good. Um, but what we're going to talk about today, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone here had a really big secret to keep? No one. Oh, we have one. Adam's brave. He had a big, has that, more than one of you has had a big secret to keep? Okay. Their lives, yes. Raise your hand. Some of you, most of you, thank you. I, am I, we have big secrets to keep, right? Most of us, I think we've experienced that. We're doing, this is interactive, guys. We're, we're in this together. No, 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 no. In, in your whole life, yes, you've had a big secret to keep. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. All right, maybe, maybe it was a surprise party, right, you had to plan. Maybe it was an engagement, maybe it was a reunion, um, whatever the occasion is, right, when you have a big secret, when it's a good one, it's hard to hold on to. Uh, it's hard to hold on to. About 12, 13 years back, I was living with a good friend of mine uh, named Josh, and he was dating a girl, and they were going to get married. And he wanted me to help kind of work out how he was going to do this engagement thing. And so he kind of told me all the details about the engagement because he wanted my help, which is great. I'm like, let's do this. But the problem was, was that his uh, soon-to-be fiancé and now wife, so spoiler alert, things went well, um, Emma, uh, um, they were, Lisa was really good friends with her, and her friend group was like, was, was really good friends. So I saw her like all the time, and I just wanted to tell her so bad about the good news about what was going to happen but i didn't i was good i kept the secret i kept it to myself we put it all together josh popped the big question in a really cool way she said yes they got married they're still married but 
I just wanted to tell her that secret so bad. Maybe you've had a secret like that where you've just wanted to tell someone. In our passage for today, Jesus is going to ask his three most trusted disciples to keep one of the most amazing secrets of all time. I've talked about it a little bit. Biblical biblical commentators uh, talked about it. They call it the messianic secret. We've talked about it as we've gone through the book of Matthew a little bit. And what's going on in the book of Matthew and the other synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is Jesus is revealing his identity to others. And as we get closer to the cross, that identity is becoming more and more clear about who the person of Jesus is. When we see this in the healings, you'll often heal people and say, don't tell anyone about me. Or you'll teach something and they'll say, don't tell anyone about me like we saw last week. Here in Matthew 17, we have this, this, this peak moment in the Gospels of revealing who Jesus is. And we're going to see that those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, are given a secret not to tell anyone who Jesus is until his uh, true identity has come out through his death and resurrection. And it's this amazing moment. It's incredible. It's the, like getting to the precipice of Matthew. And it is an intense secret to hold on to. We're going to see today. We're going to see Jesus revealed as the beloved Son of God in all of his majesty and glory. And as John 14, 6 says, we're going to see that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus the Son. So as we get to our passage today, I think it's beneficial for us to open our Bibles and read it together, and it's going to be in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. If that's your pew Bible, that's going to be page 983. So let's open the Word of God together. Let's open God's Word, the Bible together, Matthew 17, uh, verses 1 through 9. If If that's the pew Bible, it's going to be 983 in the very bottom. It's going to start there and then go on to the next page. I'll give you a moment to get there. Matthew 17, starting in verse 1, it says this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. As you can see in this passage, Jesus' true identity is revealed. His His true nature is unfolded before three of the 12 disciples. We get this, this glimpse of the full glory of Jesus 
on display, but it's just a peak. It's just a peak. The Father speaks from heaven and then forbids them to talk about um, what they've seen until Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage, so we're going to do what we typically do. We're going to break this down one chunk at a time and unpack it and tease out its meaning before we get to application. So just a reminder, verse 1 through 14, or 1 through 4, it says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good we are here. If you wish, I'm going to make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We're seeing who Jesus is being revealed. Now, the word transfigured here means to be um, completely changed, completely transformed uh, uh, into something more beautiful or a more um, spiritual state. So that's what transfiguration means. So that's what's happening to Jesus. He's transfigured right before the eyes of Peter, James, and John um, he's transformed his, his human body into his glorious one. Remember Jesus, fully man, fully God. One of the commentators puts it this way. The theological con- connotation is that Jesus' eternal nature breaks through his humanity. So his e- divine nature is breaking through his humanity, is on full display in this moment. Jesus is revealed as divine, divine to the disciples in the most profound way, giving them a true glimpse of all of his glory and splendor and majesty. The text says this, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And obviously Peter's triggered on this. He's like, well, we need to make a tent for Moses, for you, um, and for Elijah. These are the three people kind of involved in this um, uh, transfiguration. And, and these specific disciples, um, for all the, the miracles they've seen and, and the healings and, and the sermons and, and everything else they'd experienced had, had been amazing, but nothing was like this. Nothing had even come close to what they just saw. As powerful as the majestic Christ fully revealed for them, the fabric of Jesus, his humanity is pulled back, his divine, holy nature revealed. Imagine what that was like to see. It's also worth noting here that the gospel writer Matthew um, says this happened on a mountain. There's all this Old Testament imagery of six days going on the mountain, Elijah, Moses. Um, those, that's like the Israelite hall of fame, right? Elijah, Elijah and Moses. And it's reminiscent of what happened to Moses when he would go up on the mountain to talk with God. We just read the text earlier. Elijah would go up, and the presence of God was was, was so powerful in Elijah that it would change him, and he would become white, and he would come down, and he would scare the Israelites because his presence had changed. He was glowing white. And so he'd put a veil on, and then he would go back up into uh, the presence of God... 
And they're making this connection here, the disciples, the implications of Jesus as this kind of new and perfect Moses. That's why Moses is brought up in the text. See, there's this connection here between Jesus as this new and better Moses. Moses, right, led God's people out of slavery and into the promised land. Led them through the Red Sea into redemption, a temporary one. Jesus is better than Moses. He leads us to a better land, a better future, a better hope, an eternal salvation, and out of our true slavery. So there's this connection here going on in the text, which is why Moses is brought up here. It's one thing to be revealed as divine, which Jesus was. It's another to be revealed as the beloved divine Son of God, which Jesus happens to be. And that is his true identity. That's who Jesus is. That is, at the core of who Jesus is, that is his identity. The text continues in verses 5 and 8. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him. Once again, Old Testament imagery. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples, they heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, amazingly, in the Gospel of Matthew, this isn't the first booming voice we've heard from heaven. Who remembers when we've heard another booming voice in Matthew? I'll give you a hint. It's in the beginning. Baptism, yes. You get an A. Congratulations. Baptism. At the baptism of Jesus, what happens? Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water, and God says in a booming voice the same thing. This is my beloved Son with whom I am loved. I am well pleased. In both instances, God the Father is confirming the glory of God the Son. But there's an obvious difference between these two passages, if you notice. In Matthew 17, God adds an additional command. He says this, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And then he says, Listen to him. Listen to him. For those of us who follow Jesus, this is a pretty big deal. It's not enough to know the teachings of Christ. It's imperative that we adhere to the teachings of Christ. That we model our lives after the ways of Jesus. After how he loves and how we interact. We follow in his footsteps. God the Father could have said anything to the disciples in that moment. This amazing moment. But what does he say? He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's his one instruction. Listen to him. We must listen to Jesus. I wonder if we are listening to Jesus. What Jesus teaches in our daily life. Are we taking what we learn from scripture and applying it and living it out? Or are we just simply reading the words and not putting them into practice? God the Father could have said anything to us in that moment. But he says, listen to Jesus, my son. Which means do what he says, right? If you've had kids, how many times have you said to your kids, if they're doing something wrong, no, stop, 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 listen to me. 
Or, or you sit him down. You say, all right, little Johnny, listen to me. When you go to school, I want you to do A, B, and C. When you tell your kids to listen to you, you're not just telling them to hear what you say. Listening implies action, right? It implies that they take it in and they respond. That's what we, when we talk to our kids, that's what we expect. And God expects the same thing in us. He says, listen to what Jesus says. Do and respond. Do what Jesus does. Take it in and act. We know as John 14, 21 says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. So whoever knows what I say, my commandments, and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever has my commands, Jesus says, and keeps them, he is the one who truly loves me. Not that we're perfect. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying you eternalize and you follow and you obey. You follow the ways of Jesus. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And this, this verb is kind of an ongoing revealing of himself. This passage is an interesting one in light of Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Consider the parallels happening here. If you have the commands of Jesus, if you listen to him and you keep them, you love him. And if you love Jesus, then you will also be loved by God the Father. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus says he will show himself, he will manifest himself to those who love and obey him in an ongoing, continual way. It's amazing. His true identity isn't a secret any longer. This is the way. Jesus has revealed himself as the Messiah last week we saw. This week the Father is confirming that for all of us to say, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. In response to this amazing reality, Peter, James, and John, they fall face down on the ground. And I wonder if they have the imagery of Isaiah 6 in their mind. Right? These are Jewish Jewish men, um, they, they know the Old Testament, and I wonder if they have the imagery of Isaiah 6. I, I think they may. Now, if you remember Isaiah chapter 6, um, Isaiah comes before the presence of God, and there's the seraphim, and they're flying around, and two of their wings are covering their eyes, and two of them are covering their feet, and they're flying around, they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. It's this amazing scene. And everything in the scene is showing us the holiness and the perfection and the glory of God. And Isaiah just becomes undone, and he's like, I'm going to die. He's like, I've seen this holy God. And this is what Isaiah says in verse 5. He said, and I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm sinful, I'm lost. I come from, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. And I dwell in the midst of an unclean people with unclean lips. They're sinners. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And this is what Peter, James, and John are seeing. They're seeing the King, the Lord of hosts. They're awestruck. They're, they're just undone by this. The best way I can explain this to you is this. Have, have you ever seen something in your life that you were just so awestruck by you come undone? It just scares you. It's not a perfect analogy, but something like this happened to me. Um, Lisa and I, we were up at our family cabin in the north woods in Minnesota, um, and we have a bunkhouse that's a few hundred yards, 200 yards off from the main cabin that we're sleeping out in. And Lisa wakes me up, and she's like, there's a bear outside. And I'm like, I mean, there's bears, so it's the north woods. And I'm like, no, there's not a bear outside. You're, you're, 
you're exaggerating, right? She's like, no, it's right outside the cabin. I'm like, I'm like, it's not. I'm like, I'll go look. I'm a man. I'm tough. I'll go look. And I turned the corner, and I saw this 20 yards from me. That's awestruck. I kind of did one of these. <laughs> right? Awestruck. Scared me. Just like when I saw that bear from 20 yards away, I was terrified. They were terrified to hear that voice of God. But Jesus, as he does for all of us, he gently encouraged them, saying, don't be afraid. I wonder how many of us are, are fearful of God. We're fearful of the implications that come if he is really who he says he is, who he claims to be. If he wants us to follow him in such a radical way, we're fearful that these stories from the Bible aren't just stories. They are truth. They're a roadmap leading us back to Jesus. If that's you, then receive this word from Jesus. That he says, don't be afraid. He says, come to me. Jesus is gentle. He's humble in heart. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the beloved, glorious son of God. The true and perfect Moses, Moses who makes salvation for mankind. He is the way. In the Bible, Jesus is quoted as much. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. And this statement is often interpreted as Jesus claiming to be the only way to God and to eternal life, and that is absolutely 100% correct. For Christians, it means that Jesus is the only means of salvation through faith in him. One can have a personal relationship with God and eternal life in heaven through Jesus. This is the reality of Christ. And it is true, 100% true. But it's one that Jesus told his disciples not to tell anyone about. Initially in verse, oh, I missed it. Uh, I missed the slide. Verse 9 says this, And they were coming down the mountain, and Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So they have this vision of Jesus. They're told by God the Father to obey him. And then they are instructed not to tell anyone until Jesus has been raised, killed and raised from the dead. So for those of us reading this today, what does that mean? Has Jesus been killed and been raised from the dead? Yes. Which means we should be telling everyone about the, the beauty of Jesus. We don't have to wait anymore. He's been killed, and three days later, he's raised from the dead. We've gotten a glimpse of the glorious vision of God from this text. We know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We know his majesty and his beauty and his glory. We know there's no other way to eternal life and salvation. We know that we are called to walk in his ways, and that's where we find true joy. And he has been raised, so let's tell someone. Let's tell someone. Everyone, as we read through this amazing passage, we're able to see what Jesus is doing for Peter, James, and John, and he's doing it for us too. He's giving us an image to be, keep our eyes fixed on. But it leads to a few questions that arise, how we apply this passage for today. And the questions are this. The first one is this. If this is who Jesus really is, if that majestic image is Jesus, which it is, and it's, a, it's, it's the glory of Jesus, do we see Jesus for who he really is? Do we see him 
for who he really is? Or do we have some alternative vision of Jesus in our lives? And then tied to that, do we honor him as Savior and Lord and and King? If, If we've seen the vision that Peter, James, and John have, the glorious risen Christ, do we honor him? Do we praise him? Do we glorify him? Is our life directed and dedicated to him? Which ties into my third question. If that's true, then has his way become our way? As God the Father says, obey him. We've seen. Do we obey? Do we obey? Have we made his way our way? And finally, then, do we trust that he is the way, the truth, and the life? He's the only way to salvation. It's only through Jesus. There is no other way. As I mentioned earlier, I imagine that that sometimes these questions and these passages, if we think about them honestly, they can bring feelings of fear and maybe dread. For better or for worse, we have to be truthful about Jesus. If he's not really the Messiah, then who is he and what are we doing? I would argue we're wasting our time and so is Paul, but he is. Do we see him as Lord over all of our life? And if he is, and he said he is, then what does that mean for us? He's not just a helpful mentor giving us good advice about living. He is the Lord over our life. Do I trust that he's the only way, or do I deep down think there are other ways to receive eternal salvation? These are all important questions. And, of course, my favorite question to ask in life and others, ask people, is this. Do you love Jesus and follow his teachings? Or do you cherry pick and just follow the easy ones and ignore the ones that are difficult for you? We cannot do this. When God the Father says obey him, it's all of him, not just some of him. There are many paths to follow in this life, an infinite number of roads we can go down and we can choose from, but there is only one road, one way that leads to eternal salvation and joy in this life, and it's the path through Christ directly through him, back to the Father and into heaven. Jesus is the way. He is the glorified, magnified, beautiful Lord and King, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, and you have gotten a glimpse, just a glimpse of who he is today, a peek at what he's like. And there's plenty, plenty, plenty more to come for those who love him and trust him. There's an eternity of revealing who he is, of seeing that glory and partaking in it. Don't pass that by. Follow him. Give him your entire life. Obey him. Put your faith in him. Trust him. And it is worth it. It is worth more than anything else. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I'm so thankful for Matthew chapter 17, these first nine verses, where you peel back the humanity of Jesus and put on display his divinity. God, you show us that, yes, he's a man born of Mary, born of a virgin, taking on human flesh, but he's fully divine, fully God, and you have given us the glimpse of the beauty and the glory of that. God, may we fix our eyes on the glorified Jesus as he truly is, 
putting our faith in Him, our trust in Him, dedicating our lives to Him, doing what the Father says, listening to His words, listening to what Scripture says, and making a life of obeying those things. Because in doing that, we are connected with Him, and we also find the most joy in this life. You can't find it at anything else. It's Jesus. God, give us that vision so clear this morning that we can't take our eyes off of it. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.